Hey y'all, welcome to this episode of the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we spend time talking about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Today, we are going to be spending time looking at a recent teaching on Bethel's YouTube channel. And over the past weeks, Bethel has taken the opportunity to create a series called Rediscover Bethel, in case you're not familiar with it, where they address topics in-house concerning some of their beliefs and practices. One of the ones that caught my attention was specifically dealing with the prophetic ministry. Now, I know they had, I think, two of them, but one of them was Prophecy 101. And this is the video that I want to deal with today and next week. I'm going to be doing it in two parts because there's so much to cover, and I cannot cover that all in one podcast. And I'm not going to cover every single little detail. I'm going to cover main things that stood out to me that really need to be dealt with more in depth and looked at biblically. So if you know anything about my past, you're going to know that I identify as a former false prophet. I was in the apostolic prophetic movement, a lot of what people call the NAR, and functioned and was identified as a prophet. After realizing the error that I was in and some of the things that happened to me prior to that that led up to me looking into that, I realized that I had been falsely prophesying and doing the things I was doing, operating in mysticism and such things that were not biblical, and going back to biblical truths, looking at verses and context. And this is what I want to do today with this is I'm going to be critiquing this video, going through it, and also sharing some clips with you. So I took time to listen to this video several times, taking notes, referring to scripture, and coming away with concerns as to what is being taught. I also noticed while watching this, there were several concepts familiar to me, and I began to realize that much of what was being said in in this particular video came from uh, a prophetic training curriculum that Chris Valentin had actually written and published several years ago. I had taught out of this manual and played the DVDs even for the class that I taught in our former church about this. And so when I started recognizing some of the words and some of the concepts, I realized where all this was coming from. And I've watched a lot of videos. I've watched hours of videos, old videos, old clips. And a lot of this stuff that he's saying is consistent with that teaching. This episode, along with the one to follow, is going to be focused on the actual teaching coming from this video and not the individual themselves. So I just want you to keep that in mind as you're listening and following along. And the goal of these podcasts is to look and see, is this a teaching that I should be listening to? That's what you need to keep in the back of your mind. Is this a teaching that I should be adopting and listening to? And is this in line with scripture and is scripture being appropriated properly in order to understand the teaching that's coming from this particular ministry? I will say this, including myself, just because someone quotes a Bible verse does not increase their credibility. So everything needs to be tested against scripture. If someone quotes a Bible verse, That needs to be looked at and seeing if what they said in context to what they're saying is matching the context of Scripture. It it took me a little bit more time to dig through some Scriptures that were mentioned here in this particular video because verses were not mentioned. Or it was said, well, the Scripture says this, or it was just taken out of context. And I'm not saying, I don't want to say that that was intentional, but it does make it to where people might be more willing to dismiss it and not look it up and spend the time looking up the scripture if it's not actually mentioned in chapter and verse. Now, some people are going to say, but the chapters and verses are not divinely inspired. No, they're not. They're there for us to have easy reference so that way we can find them in the Bible and get to them more quickly and know where they're located. 
Now, as we're going into this, I'm going to break it down into different sections. I'm going to have the timestamps for you, and I'm even going to post videos down below that you can go to links of the original YouTube video as well as other YouTube clips that I'm going to be referencing or that you can even watch that are short. They're at longest, they're probably 11 minutes as far as the clips are concerned. And you'll see the consistency of what is being taught in this understanding in their ministry of prophetic ministry. So let's jump right in. The first nine minutes, they go into discussion, which when I say they, Chris Vallotton is in this video along with Dan Farrelly, who is the dean over the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. So this interview, first and foremost, is done in-house. And in the first nine minutes, Dan asks Chris the question of what is prophetic ministry. And he begins to talk about the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament prophecy. He talks about that there's the new covenant that we're in now that's rooted in love, and it's the ministry of reconciliation, which I agree with. That's, that's correct. And obviously there is a difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament is obviously not important. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 is a scripture that he references immediately in this within probably about the two and a half minute to three minute mark. He references this scripture and talks about it in conjunction with prophetic ministry. And I'm going to come back to this scripture in just a few minutes and read it. At minute 3.30, God, uh, they, they talk about how God wanted relationship with man. Chris mentions that God wanted relationship with man and that man rejected God and that man asked for rules. When I started actually thinking about what he was saying, I realized that there was an actual skipping of Genesis. That's not how the, the scripture starts with why man rejected God and it had nothing to do with man asking for rules and I'm going to read Exodus 19:5 to you in just a second but there was no mention of man's rebellion or sin entering because of man's rebellion and the need for reconciliation so that was something that stood out to me in mentioning that that was skipped over and it was immediately went to the law it made it sound as if, well, man asked for rules, and God said, well, if you want, want rules, I'll give you rules. But first of all, man didn't ask for rules. God established the the Ten Commandments, the, the law, in order to point to himself, to lay the boundaries for the people, and to really show them ultimately that he was a holy God and that they were in need of a Savior, which Chris does mention this, and I do agree with that point. I do not agree with the point of using this scripture in order to say, well, God want a relationship with man. Man rejected God, and man asked for rules when he didn't do that. In Exodus 19, verse 5, we see that Moses has gone up to God, and the Lord has called out to him out of the mountain, and he begins to talk to him. And then in verse 5, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, which this is to be directed to the people of Israel, this is directed to them. God's telling Moses that he is to say this to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So as we read on in verse 7, it says, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
So they did not ask for rules. And as he goes on, it says that Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. God begins to lay down the, the Ten Commandments for them as it goes on. Now, the people did not want to hear from God. That is absolutely true. They wanted to hear from Moses, but they did not ask for rules. So we need to actually go back in order to understand the point of reconciliation. We have to understand the beginning, which was in Genesis in the garden, Adam's sin against God, his rebellion against God, and how sin entered. It entered through one man who is Adam that we know that says that in Romans that's how sin entered into the world and that there is a need continuously over and over again that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament for a Savior. The law shows us that we cannot do these things apart from God. Apart from Christ, we cannot, we cannot fulfill the law. No one could fulfill the law. It always pointed to needing a Savior. It also showed that God was a holy God, as I said. And Chris did make this point, and again, I do agree with this, and that we truly do need a Savior. We agree on that. What we don't agree with is that he's using this particular passage, eventually this trail of going to 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm going to show you some interesting things there where he correlates another Old Testament passage with 2 Corinthians 5 and makes some observations with that. Now, at around the 4 minute 40 second mark, they begin to talk about the prophet and the role of the prophet. And Chris talks about how the prophet was a covenant enforcer. They were to judge the people and tell them what they were doing wrong, is what he says. That judgment was coming upon them because of what they had done wrong against God and in sin. And though there is some truth to that, that's not the full story of what a prophet in the Old Testament was. And really, they were a type and shadow of Christ. And we also know that... The prophets spoke with infallibility in the Old Testament under an old covenant, mind you. They spoke under the inspiration of God. They said, thus says the Lord, and they spoke on his behalf. They were his mouthpiece, and they were giving the instruction of what God was saying through fallible vessels that they were, though the fallible vessels that they were, God was still speaking divinely through them perfectly and revealing what he was asking them to do or what he was instructing the people to do, which was to repent and turn back to him. And the prophets also provided instruction to kings. And one of the biggest things they did as well was they prophesied the coming of the Messiah. So we see this consistently in Scripture. There are things that were foretold that happened in the New Testament concerning Christ, concerning Judas, concerning John the Baptist we'll talk about. We see this when we read the Old Testament. So it's not just that the prophets came and said, well, you know, you're a bad person or you're in sin and judgment's coming on you. That really kind of diminishes the ministry of the Old Testament prophets and furthermore, you can actually see in the Old Testament that what the prophets were doing, they were a type and shadow of ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel message today has not changed. The message is still repent and believe. Turn from your wicked ways and come back to God. Turn to Christ to save you. The message hasn't changed. And so the New Testament has revealed what the Old Testament was saying all along, pointing back to Jesus Christ. Everything was pointing back to Jesus Christ. The feasts, the sacrifices in Scripture that we see was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ that was pointing back to him. And prophets were ministering unto the Lord, and they were doing it with the infallibility from God in order to do that and to convey the message that needed to be conveyed, and it was found to be true. But in the New Testament, Chris says that the role is changed of the prophet and prophecy because of reconciliation, and it's changed because of Jesus Christ. So 
he references first Corinthians in this concept. He references first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, where it says two or three prophets are gathered. They speak and one is to speak and the others are to pass judgment or to weigh. And he says that prophets judge the prophetic words when reading this verse. That's not what it says. When you look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and read it in context, it says, let two or three prophets prophesy and let the others judge. The others is referring to the church. That's who the others are. It's not the prophets in and amongst themselves having to judge that. It's the church judging it. So this whole idea of, he mentions about that in the New Testament, that the prophets themselves are no longer judged or people are no longer judged, but it's the words that are judged. I would disagree with that because it's still the same. In the Old Testament, the words were judged of the prophets. If they weren't accurate, they were stoned. That wasn't them judging the person. They were judging the words coming out of that person, which essentially was judging that person too in saying, that's a false prophet. We are not to listen to them. We're not to be afraid of them. As Deuteronomy 18 talks about, they have talked presumptuously. And so the, the standard has not changed, except in the fact that there is now grace in this dispensation. And now there is repentance. Thank the Lord. There is repentance that is granted to those who will listen and will turn from ways that are error and sinful towards God and are not testifying of him in truth and spirit and that they will repent and turn from their ways and trust in him as their Lord and Savior and turn from the conduct of what they were doing that it was not honoring God to begin with. Now I do appreciate the fact that around this part where he's talking about this that Dan jumps in and he addresses that issue saying well isn't it the church aren't the other church members supposed to be judging these prophetic words but Chris seems to be doubling down on that view in that verse of saying well no the prophets actually bring discernment to what's being said to make sure that it's from quote Holy Spirit. Now, this next section that we're going to be getting into, I'm actually going to play a clip from this YouTube video. It's beginning at the 6 minute, 18 second mark. And Chris talks about the depiction between the Old Testament and New Testament and where it's found in the Old Testament and how it links to the New Testament. So let's take a listen to that. I think one of the best examples of the, uh, if you will, the, the epoch difference between the Old Testament and New Testament prophecy is really depicted through uh, Elijah Elijah, when Malachi says in chapter 4 of Malachi, in the last days I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Okay, so now we're taking Elijah who lived uh, on the earth before the cross. And now Malachi is going to move him on the other side of the cross, on the new covenant side of the cross. Yes. In the last days I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. We're going to move Elijah from the old covenant to the new covenant. Mm. And what's he going to do? He's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters and the hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. So what did uh, Elijah do in the Old Covenant? Well, he killed false prophets, called down fire, um, you know, he stopped around. the rain, <laughs> yeah, moped around a lot, got depressed, you He's know, a good man, I love him. judged yeah. Israel. Yeah. You know, he was a yeah, very moody guy, right? Yeah, but powerful, powerful prophet. Powerful, yeah. yeah. But now we're going to, now Malachi proposes to move Elijah, or you might say the spirit of Elijah, yeah. to the other side of the cross. And what's he doing? This very 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, 19, 20, he's reconciling families. It, it, it's such a beautiful picture totally, because yeah. if we take our New Testament model for prophecy from Elijah on the other side of the cross, then we think 
it's our job to judge cities, yeah. to judge nations. And the beautiful thing is, is that we all deserve judgment, but Jesus didn't just die for us. He actually died as us, yeah. right? Yeah. He died for us in that he forgave our sins. He died as us in that when he rose from the dead, we rose with him. Yeah. And now that statement right there, I want to address that, but there's so much stuff to cover. I'm not going to address that today, but needless to say, there's a little bit of truth in that and untruth in that. And that's something that would need to be addressed far more in more detail, but let's keep going just a little bit longer. All the benefits of the new covenant are actually in us. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to just begin by saying like, if you're taking your, your definition uh, or your uh, model, yeah, yeah model. especially your model, you know, and, and from your perspective too, as, as a teacher, you would be like, and your theology, yeah. you know, from the old covenant you're like you're you're really missing the beauty of the reconciling ministry of of prophetic ministry and finding gold in people's lives okay so that's one clip that i'm going to play for you and i apologize for the sound quality so he ends about at the eight minute 20 second mark with that that last statement and i spent a lot of time looking at what he was talking about because i could not connect the dots i could not connect the dots with malachi 4 to second corinthians 5 And there's a reason for that, and I'm going to show you that based in Scripture. Just as a heads up, I should have said this in the beginning, this podcast is going to be a a longer one. So if you, again, before, if you have to break it up and sit down and and listen to it in chunks, that's fine. But this is going to be, both of these podcasts are going to be longer. But I encourage you to listen to them and begin to be encouraged to be a student of the Word. It is so important that you be a student of the word because there are people that are going to rely on you not being a student of the word so that way they can teach you things that aren't biblical. And you've got to know what the Bible says and and be willing to do do, due diligence and be a good student of the word so you can know what things are and so that you're not, and using proper biblical discernment so that you're not persuaded in a direction that's not based in truth and founded in truth. So having heard this clip, And looking at the passages mentioned, I want to address the final statement in light of these passages. And I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21 to you. And in case you don't remember what the last statement was, Chris says this. He says, if you're taking your model and theology from the old covenant, then you're missing the beauty of the reconciling ministry in prophetic ministry and finding the gold in people. We have to take that in consideration with what he said a few minutes prior to that. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21, this is the passage that he referenced. So we are going to take time to read it. So at verse 17, we're going to start where he did. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I don't think he referenced verse 21 but I read verse 21 anyway. When we're looking at 2 Corinthians 5 here we should be able to read this passage in context and easily see that this is the gospel that's being presented here. It's the gospel that brings the ministry that's the ministry of reconciliation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is to repent and believe in Christ and to turn from your sins and to realize that without Christ, that the wrath of God abides on you and that with Christ, that the wrath has been satisfied. 
his atonement has satisfied the wrath of God on our behalves when we believe in him. And that when, as believers, we are no longer that old man, that those things have passed away. The new has come. Of course, we live in a now and not yet. We're not in our glorified bodies yet. And all this is from God. It talks about through Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, who is Paul talking to here? He is talking to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to fellow believers at the church in Corinth. It's very important that when we quote verses, we understand the author, the audience, the application. Those are three things that we should be aware of. We need to recognize this is Paul speaking. He's speaking to believers in Christ. And the application is, is that this is the gospel being presented and that he's telling the Corinthians, you are to give the ministry of reconciliation. This is what Christ did by him dying on the cross, by him taking on sin who knew no sin, that he brings his righteousness to us. He imputes his righteousness to us through faith in him alone. And that we can stand before God. We're justified in the righteousness of Christ. This is about the gospel. It's not about prophetic ministry and finding the gold in people. Again, these are things I used to teach, okay? So when he says, find the gold in people, I used to teach stuff out of this manual at the old church I was part of. This is not coming from someone that's, that's unfamiliar with this and just an outsider looking in. The other scripture that he finds the, uh, that is the best depiction or the best link, so to speak, between the Old Testament and New Testament, he first goes to Malachi chapter 4. So let's go there. So Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 through 6, let's read the scriptures that, he, that he's referencing. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. We see in context, as we're going to see in a few minutes, actually, as we go through scripture, we're going to see that this is talking about Israel. And the Elijah that he sends is actually not on the other side of the cross. And the teaching here that Elijah was moved on the other side of the cross and ministers reconciliation is not matching up with things that even Jesus said that we see, for example, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10 through 14. So let's turn there. I'm going to back up and begin reading at verse 7. It says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That passage right there that Jesus just quoted is from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It goes on in verse 11. Truly I say to you, among these born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The other passage I want to read to you that contradicts this belief that the Elijah is on the other side of the cross ministering reconciliation in conjunction with 2 Corinthians 5 is in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 10 through 13. Verse 10 begins, And the disciples asked him, which is Jesus, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? 
He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. When you read this, Malachi 4 verse 5 and 6 is not talking about 2 Corinthians 5 17. Elijah does not reconcile families and people to one another. Christ does that. We are not told to be like Elijah. We are told to be like Jesus Christ, to imitate him. Now, that does not mean that we become deity, but it means to be conformed to his image and to take on the nature of Christ in understanding that we are to be sanctified, holy, set apart, that we are to uh, be led by the Spirit and not by the flesh, that we are to have the fruit of the Spirit demonstrated in our lives that's cultivated to know that to whom we belong. We are to to be conformed to the image of Christ in that sense, not to d- a divine deif- deified sin. This scripture is not being appropriated properly because Malachi 4 is talking about John the Baptist and his ministry to Israel. And what happened, by the way, let me remind you, John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. He was not a New Testament prophet. I know some people, and I used to believe that as well, because he was mentioned in the New Testament, he was a New Testament prophet, but he's not. He was before the cross, not after it. And he didn't bring reconciliation in after the cross. He prepared the way of the Lord. He was prophesied of in the Old Testament that he would prepare the way. And then he's prophesied right at the end of Malachi. And there's no mistake about that because for 400 years, there was silence. God did not speak to the people. And then in Matthew, we see that John the Baptist comes on the scene and he is preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come, the Messiah to come. And he's, he's calling the people to repentance, the people of Israel the Jewish people, to repentance. And those that don't listen, there's judgment that comes upon them. This is a biblical understanding of what is going on here. So we have to look at it in context. John the Baptist fulfills Malachi 4. Jesus proves that when he talks about John in Matthew in the two different places in Matthew 11 and Matthew 17. Another thing that we can look at too, we see in Luke chapter 1 verse 17. I want to read that to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, this is when the angel comes to deliver a message to Zechariah, and it's a prophecy. So Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we'll back up a little bit, and in verse 13, the, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel, pay attention to this, he will return many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. This angel is even quoting some of Malachi 4 in this to Zechariah about John the Baptist, who again was before the cross, who was an Old Testament prophet and who prepared the way of the Lord. And he called the Israelites, he called the Jewish people to repent. He did not even minister reconciliation to the Gentiles. It was to the Jewish people. So that's one thing that we need to recognize. Another thing, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, we see it talks about the description of John. And we're all very familiar with this. It says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Well, I started doing a little digging into my Bible. Let's look at 2 Kings. When we go to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, we see this here. When Ahaziah decides to send someone to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, 
And in verse five, it says, the messengers returned to the king and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it better? There is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Isn't that fascinating? The same way that Elijah dressed was the same way that John the Baptist dressed. And it was to show that John the Baptist was indeed the one who was coming in the power and spirit of Elijah to minister the the call to repentance and prepare the way of the Lord. And as we saw in Luke, when the angel prophesied to Zechariah, he was to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and to bring that ministry to Israel. So we can see here the correlation between Malachi 4 and 2 Corinthians 5 doesn't fit. We aren't told to be like Elijah. As I said, we are told to be like Christ. And I would also disagree with the final statement that if we don't understand the Old Testament properly, we will miss the beauty of reconciliation. All throughout the full counsel of Scripture, which includes the Old Testament, we see the ministry of reconciliation ministered to the people. There is the call to repent and turn back to him, that he wants to give them a heart of flesh for a heart of stone, that he wants to make a people that are set apart for him. God is calling through the prophets and telling the people to repent, and he's telling of the Messiah that is to come. And yet people rebelled against God, and they still do today. They rebel, and they deny Christ, and they rebel because they don't want to hear the ministry of reconciliation because, quite frankly, many people don't want to recognize and, and to admit that they're sinners. And I know that a lot of us have said that. I've said that before, too, that everybody knows they sin. No, they don't. There's people that think they're good. And they think that because they're good and they do good things that they're going to go to heaven. They have no understanding. No one has explained the gospel to them. The wrath of God that abides on them, the condemnation that abides on them when they're condemned already, according to John 3.18, when they deny Christ or they don't accept what his atonement was and they don't want to be forgiven of their sins and they don't want to trust in him for eternal life. And that's why he rose again, by the way, that the resurrection is to show that there is the promise of eternal life, that, that that's found in Christ. It's all about him. It, so I disagree with this statement. I disagree that if our model and theology is based on the Old Testament, then we're missing the beauty of reconciliation. We must take into account the full counsel of Scripture if we're going to talk about prophetic ministry and understanding it in a biblical context. Now, there is a video clip I want to play for you from another teaching that he did. And he stated that people who bring the Old Testament into the New Testament make it become schizophrenic. And so I wanted to point out a few more things before I move on to this, the next point that I have. So let's take a listen to that, because again, you're going to see this consistency of not liking what the Old Testament has to say, and it views it as judgmental. And in the same breath or the same at the same time on the flip side the old testament is used a lot for examples in this youtube video that we're talking about about prophecy 101 so i find that a little bit interesting that though the old testament you're not supposed to pull the old testament into the new testament to base your theology on prophetic ministry which is what they're talking about they consistently pull the old testament into the new testament in order to understand prophetic ministry the, one of the things i want to just highlight here is that um The prophet Joel, who Peter is quoting in Acts chapter 2, calls this the great and glorious 
day of the Lord, the great and glorious. So we live in great and glorious. Now, in contrast, Malachi 4, chapter 5 says that he's going to send Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So there's a great and glorious, and there's a great and terrible. It's important that we don't get terrible mixed up with glorious. Because <laughs> that would be great and terrible glorious. That wouldn't work, would it? Anyway, there's a lot of people who do that. Like they take the Old Testament prophets prophetic ministry and they pull it into the new covenant and it ends up with this kind of a schizophrenic ministry now okay so that's just a small clip and you again i will post that link so you can listen to that whole video you can hear him say first of all he's using what joel says and which is quoted in the new testament it's pulled out of the old testament quoted into the new testament and again for time's sake we can't go into that but Joel is t- uh, that that prophecy is revealed through Peter at the day of Pentecost in Acts two. But then he references Malachi four in this teaching, and he almost says it in a negative connotation. Which in this new video he did, it's used as a main thrust or the main focus of the ministry of reconciliation. He's talking about the great and terrible day of the Lord, which in the uh, ESV that I have it says great and awesome day of the Lord. So again, there's another teaching that goes into that about what that means, the great and awesome or great and terrible day of the Lord. But you can see here for one thing that this scripture is viewed differently. And then as far as Malachi being a po- in the positive aspect for what he did currently within the past few weeks and teaching about Prophecy 101, but also too that the thing that stood out to me was continuing to have this mindset of pulling Old Testament theology or covenant into the New Testament. And though I understand where he's coming from in that, in some sense about viewing that there is a different covenant now, we still have to understand that the Old Testament is very much intertwined with the New Testament. I did a quick study and looked at how many times the verses in the Old Testament are referenced in the New Testament. And there's 283 times that verses from the Old Testament are referenced in the New Testament. Many of the examples that are borrowed from the Old Testament that we see that's used in this particular video that they're doing are coming from the Old Testament. They're 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 breaking their own rule, so to speak, and they're using verses from the Old Testament to talk about the New Testament prophetic ministry. 283 times Old Testament verses are mentioned in the New Testament. And some of these are not about finding the golden people. I mean, some of these that are talked about in the New Testament are not optimistic or positive in our understanding. I mean, Romans talks about Romans 9 verse 33. It references Isaiah 28, 16, which is essentially talking about Jesus being the rock of offense. We see in the book of Acts, we see that in Acts 28 verses 26 through 27, Paul references Isaiah chapter 6 verse 9 and 10. This is the judgment that's going to come on Israel. In Acts chapter 13 verse 41, the Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 is referenced. This is a warning to scoffers. So this is is not finding the gold in people. In John chapter 12, verse 40, Isaiah 610 is, is uh, referenced, and this is talking about the unbelief of people. John the Baptist himself, again, an Old Testament prophet, referred to the leaders as broods of vipers and told people to repent and that the axe was being laid to the root. The fire was coming, that there was going to be judgment that was coming. That is not finding the gold in people, and we are not told in scripture to find the gold in people. People are valuable. God loves people. And at the same time, his wrath abides on people because if they're 
not trusting in him. So Romans, and we can see this, that we're told to preach the gospel. And we can see that we are told to preach the gospel. Romans 3.23 makes it clear also in the New Testament that none is righteous, no, not one. And this is quoting from several different passages in the Old Testament, including Isaiah. Isaiah said that no one is righteous. No one seeks after God. Uh, Isaiah also talks about in the Old Testament that our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I encourage you to look at what filthy rags means. So at the nine minute mark, we're switching gears. And at the nine minute mark, they start talking about hearing God. And Dan references John 10, 27, that they base hearing God on that, which that's a salvation passage. When you look at that in context, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's talking about salvation. That's not talking about hearing the uh, small whispers of God, trying to get alone, listening, having listening prayer. That's also talked about in this segment that they mention at from the nine minute mark on hearing things for people. We're you're going to be hard pressed to find that in scripture that we're told instructed to do such a thing like that. At the 11 minute mark, the point is made that the Bible is a final authority and the judge for prophetic ministry. So they, they do mention that they talk about the listening prayers. I said, they discuss prophecy being foretelling and foretelling, which the definition uh, Chris gives for foretelling is to tell the future. Foretelling is to cause the future. Again, I have some thoughts on that, that I want to talk about, but the example that he uses for foretelling and foretelling is the example. It's an Old Testament example again. It's Ezekiel 37. It's the Valley of Dry Bones as talking and talking to the bones, not talking about the bones is what he says. And that we have to pay attention when we read that in context. This is not about the man Ezekiel who was the mouthpiece of God, but rather what God had to say through Ezekiel about Israel. This is again about Israel in context. He's speaking to Israel and they are in captivity. And this is to bring them some encouragement and some hope. In correlation with foretelling, he uses a Mark chapter 11, verse 23, which Mark 11, 23, that is a passage I'm very familiar with. That's using the word of faith. It's talked about when Jesus says, if you say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and do not doubt, but you believe you know, it'll be done. And so that verse is used a lot to say, your words have power. If you speak to that mountain, it has to move. We should understand in the Western uh, mindset that that metaphor, that was actually a metaphor used in the Jewish literature for doing what seemed impossible. And so Jesus is encouraging them to believe in God for what seems impossible. And that is according to the will of God. Now, at the minute, uh, 14 minute, 45 second mark, they talk about the sovereignty of God, but the responsibility of man. So I want to play that clip for you. It, it, it's beautiful because this is an Old Testament example, yeah. but it's also, uh, it fits in another place too, because when we're, prophecy is both foretelling, I'm telling you the future, but it's also foretelling. Uh, Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, so this is where the proclamation comes in, yeah. because uh, um, I think this may be hard to hear for some people yeah. because of the, the sense of sovereignty of God, which I we completely believe in, but also the sense of responsibility of man in Jesus, where God wants something done, and he gives you a prophetic word for it, and if you don't share that word, it may not happen, and so I think there's, you know, I don't, I think sometimes people are like, well, you know, prophecies is kind of hearing from God, I'm like, it, it is hearing from God, but there is this other element that makes it prophecy, mm. in that we are actually proclaiming it, yeah, yeah. we're actually saying it, and that, that actually speaking out part actually sets in motion 
devotion, it becomes a catal catalytic uh, spiritual experience in which we are setting something in motion with God. Let me say this. We are partnering with God sure. yeah, yeah. to set something in motion that often takes place. Ideally, the Lord said it. He's intended it. It's his purpose. And he's like, say it with me. Exactly. There's yeah, a great way to say me. it. Yeah. And, and when we look back, we realize like how important speech is when we look at just the Genesis story. God said, God said, yeah. let there be light. Don't, and so, the you Psalms know. Psalms are full of declarations. I mean, it's just reading through them again, like constant declarations yeah. in the Psalms. So David is a. Say things out loud. Yeah. So, so prophecy, it, it is, it is often more than I hear something for someone else. Yeah. Obviously that's yeah. the basics, but I hear something from God for someone else and I speak it out. Yeah. All right. So a few things to address there. He talks about the sovereignty of God, but the responsibility of man. And if we don't say what God wants to say, then it may not happen. But my question is, doesn't this imply the sovereignty of man when we say something like that, that God is dependent on us? I'm trying to understand that what he's saying as far as responsibility, but saying it in such a way, it's almost as if, if we don't say it, then it's not, if we don't say it, it's not going to happen. And that diminishes the sovereignty of God because then God is dependent on us and God is not dependent on us. He's sovereign in knowing who will speak for him and who won't. As far as we see that in scripture, we see that with the prophets using scriptures such as Genesis about the power of words. Let me remind you as well, that's God speaking. God is the one that has the power to create. We do not because he's God. Nowhere in scripture are we told that we can create things with our words. We can encourage and discourage with our words. We can speak life in that sense of encouraging someone in the Lord. But to say that we can have power in our words to decree and declare things and to speak things into existence, that's a paganistic mindset. And we must call it what it is. It's paganistic. But God is the one who calls things that aren't as though they were. That's Romans 4.17. That's not us doing that. That's God. And you can read that in context to see what I'm talking about when it's referencing Abraham. So this seems to imply man's sovereignty. And also the claim is made here that prophecy is hearing God and then speaking speaking it out loud to others. What you're hearing God say to you about others, you're speaking it out loud while instructing people at the same time in their ministry. They tell people, don't say the Lord said. There's old clips. I'm going to post them down below that you can go through them, that you can listen to them. Chris instructs people years ago in, his, in, in their church not to say the Lord said. His reason to say that is because of 1 Thessalonians 5, that he doesn't want people to despise prophecy. And if you're in a prophetic culture long enough or a prophetic community, that if you hear enough wrong prophecies, then it's going to make you despise them. That is not a reason to not say the Lord said. And that he also says to those people in that video, if you have to say the Lord said all the time, then you have an insecurity problem. Then he might want to look at the Old Testament prophets and understand why they said that. Even Agabus in Acts 21 said, thus says the Holy Spirit. He was speaking like an Old Testament prophet. And by the way, Agabus was not an error. We've already covered this in another podcast. This Agabus is used as a scapegoat to say, well, prophecy can have error to it now. False prophets are not what we say they are, which we're going to talk about that next week and go into more in more in depth about that. But to claim error is okay and that you're human and that you're going to mess up and to say that, you know, we're practicing prophecy and hearing the voice of God and that, you know, we're going to have mistakes that we're, we don't hear perfectly all the time. But then to say that we are responsible, that man's responsibility, God's sovereign man's responsibility, and that we need to be speaking out what God's saying. It's 
it's not agreeing with one another. It's it's negating. One statement is negating the other. I hope that you all can see that. The, the statements are negating each other because you can't say that God is speaking and then say, well, I didn't hear it perfectly because you don't see that example set throughout scripture when the prophets spoke. And at the 19 minute uh, 45 mark, they claim that no one hears perfectly. They talk about that. And uh, the Old Testament prophets, though, they did. They, the, the prophets that were of God, they heard and they were under a lesser covenant. Keep that in mind. They were under a lesser covenant and yet they heard the word of the Lord without any problem. They weren't trying to tune into any frequency. They weren't trying to get alone and to set the right atmosphere to hear God. They heard him because they were his mouthpiece and God sovereignly chose them to speak on his behalf and to minister his words. So as we go on at the, they start talking about the 18 minute, 50 second mark. They talk about receiving prophetic words. And that there are three parts to a prophecy, revelation, interpretation, and application. I could actually see how this could apply to a prophecy when you look at it in Scripture, the revelation, the interpretation of it, and the application. And then when we go on to the 21-minute mark, Dan presents the question to Chris about the difference between a prophet and the gift of prophecy. So he goes to 1 Corinthians 14. They talk about this. And essentially, they're talking about how the gifts are not earned. And I agree with that. It even says in 1 Corinthians 12 that spiritual gifts are given as the Holy Spirit wills. He also mentions that they're not not a sign of maturity. Now, Again, I think I understand what he's saying about that. At the same time, the context of 1 Corinthians 14, there was immaturity going on in the church, and Paul was addressing that. There was a lot of error going on all throughout. You read Corinthians, and there's just error, error everywhere. These believers are having to be addressed by Paul and corrected because he's an apostle. And so the context of 1 Corinthians 14, as most of it is, is Paul bringing correction to disorder and the proper use of gifts. That was what 1 Corinthians, if you read the full thing of 1 Corinthians 14 in context, and you even want to read it with 12 and 13, you're going to see that in 14 specifically, he is addressing the disorder that's going on in the churches with regards to tongues and to prophecy, and that he's actually talking about that they should desire to prophesy. That doesn't doesn't say that you get someone to lay hands on you and activate prophecy because that can't take place. Again, it goes back to 1 Corinthians 12 that the Holy Spirit is the one who wills the gifts. He gives them as he wills. But 1 Corinthians 14 is addressing error and setting in order the proper use of the gifts in the church and that they are to edify the body and not themselves. He talks about, and I'm going to play a clip here again at uh, around the 24 minute mark. He talks about, this is going to be a, a longer clip that I'm going to play from this. He talks about the word of knowledge. Now I remember teaching this and, and being told this is that the, the speaking gifts or the revelatory gifts were uh, prophecy, the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. What we taught was, is that it was speaking something that was currently taking place or that was currently happening. That was a word of knowledge. Chris, has said, Chris says that the word of knowledge, again, he says it is a word about what is currently true or currently happening. And he makes the statement, I'm, I want you to hear this in this clip. This is, uh, again, something that's found in this manual, the curriculum that he teaches, and it's through many videos that he's done. He talks about the value placed on the word determines the power you receive from it. So let's take a few minutes to listen to that clip. 
So God gives me a gift. I may move powerfully in prophecy. I may be move powerfully in word of knowledge. By the way, a word of knowledge is a, is a word that you get about something, a fact that's currently true. So if I said, call someone out and said, hey, you're a nurse, and she was a nurse, that's a great word, but it's not prophecy because prophecy is always about the future. So that's a word of knowledge. Okay. So sometimes you call someone out and you say, you're a nurse, and they're like, I'm not a nurse. Got the wrong word. It may be the wrong word, but remember, prophecy is about foretelling and forthtelling. Hmm. The value you place on the word determines the power you receive from the word so if you go but you can also you can also have got it wrong right like oh you no, be, yeah you're a nurse like no i'm not like it's just a bad word I, uh... I do appreciate the fact i will make this note i do appreciate that dan is making this this notation or this distinction here is that it could be a bad word but i want you to listen to what chris says i got I heard wrong incorrectly got my wires crossed so that happens no that's exactly true yeah. but but we want to also make sure that people understand that word of knowledge hey i see you as a truck driver i'm a truck driver great that's a word of knowledge yeah. But I see you as, as a doctor. Oh, no, I'm not a doctor. Oh, I, I've never wanted to be a doctor. Well, if you look through even the Old Testament, God called people like Saul, for example, mm -hmm. who becomes the first king. Yeah. And God goes, you're going to be king. And he's like, I don't want to be king. I actually have no desire to be king. I'm actually really happy being a farmer. Mm -hmm. God's like, yeah, you're going to mm -hmm. be king. So I think I think there is an important part here where sometimes by faith, we actually receive the promises. Okay. So something that feels like a, might be a wrong like word of knowledge, we, act, we, can't, we shouldn't flush it immediately or get rid of immediately because God could be in that pulling us somewhere. Yeah, because be uh, my people perish for uh, a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason... Fla a flag on the field, flag on the field. When he mentions that my, my people perish for lack of knowledge with reference to, well, we shouldn't flush a word that could be prophetic versus a word of knowledge. Again, this is confusing, and it's it's bringing this sense, argue it from this point and say, it really shuts down critical thinking and proper biblical discernment. Be and it makes a loophole to negate that there's any false prophecy or that there's false prophets. That's the observation that I make from this and being a part of this movement is that's what it does. And it shifts the blame onto the person that wouldn't receive it and off of the one who said it. But when we go to um, Hosea 4, 6 is actually the verse that he references is that my people perish for lack of knowledge. That's misappropriated scripture. Again, that's talking to Israel, and that is God rep recognizing and telling them that not only do they not have knowledge, but they have rejected the knowledge that God gives and that they're sinning against God. So that's what that means, and that we should be encouraged as New Testament believers that we don't perish for a lack of knowledge. We have knowledge according to the, the counsel of scripture now. That we have the word of God given to us to understand that it is sufficient for us to understand and to help us to grow in believers in Christ and to, to be uh, equipped for, for good works um, that, that glorify God, that it equips us to be trained in righteousness, that it, it equips us to correct us and such. So we no longer perish for a lack of knowledge as believers in Christ. Let's keep going. The reason I'm actually emphasizing this is because how practically important this is. Mm -hmm. So if I don't understand the difference between word of knowledge and prophecy, and someone does give me an accurate prophecy, let's say, yeah. and it's about the future, and it has nothing to do with anything I ever wanted to do. Let's say it's not like a confirmation. Because yeah. sometimes people say, well, prophecy is always confirmation. I'm sorry, there's actually no verse for that in the entire Bible. Yeah. Yeah. We actually created that theology so that people don't do crazy stuff. I would agree that confirmation is not backed up. Uh, in scripture. I do agree with that. I don't know why it was created like that other than to maybe appease people and to tell them, you know, if you hear a prophecy, then to roll with it because God's probably already been speaking that to you. Again, these were things I used to teach people that if you hear a word that it, it should be confirmation to you. I agree with Chris on this. There is no scripture that supports that. 
But at the same time, the teaching of the prophetic ministry today with regards to all of this is at the same time not matching up with scripture. Like, hey, you're supposed to go to Africa. It's like, it's done. It's okay. I got to go to Africa. It's like, no, it's got to be a confirmation. No, it actually has to be a right prophecy. It actually has to be the Lord. The Lord has to be saying it. Yeah, he has to be the one saying it. So in, in, in the midst of a lot of bad prophecy. So the question is, if it's the Lord saying it, then how can you say that it is an error or imperfect if it's the Lord saying it? Because you can't take the route again that it's because you're a fallible vessel because fallible vessels in the Old Testament spoke infallibly when it was God speaking through them. Again, these are things to think about when you're listening to this and not just nod your head and go along and say, well, that sounds really profound and that's really great. And that's those, these are gold nuggets here for me to take away. You need to be opening your Bibles and following along and reading when people say things like this and know what the Bible says. Because, again, this teaching is not going along with sound biblical teaching. And by the way, they had that same issue in the first century. Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, don't despise prophetic utterance. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what is good. Why would you despise prophetic utterance? Well, if you live in a prophetic community, you you can know why you can start uh, hating them. Or there's too many of them, too much of them. Which one? Wrong ones. Yeah, yeah, wrong ones. People getting it wrong, you know. And so, um, you know, we are actually commanded to, to actually examine it carefully. Hold fast to the parts of it that are good or to the word that's good. But my, my point would be, and, and uh, is that I do have to unite my faith with the word. Think about it even in the Old Testament. God prophesied through Moses that about 1.5 million people, I guess, are going to leave Egypt and go to the promised land. The truth is those people that heard the prophetic word, however many there were, one yeah. point something million, only two of them, yeah. Joshua and Caleb, actually fulfilled, actually had the fulfilled promise in their life. Yeah. And it actually, Hebrews actually says they did not unite the word, those guys who heard it, mm-hmm. with faith and therefore they didn't enter in. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. what gets blamed, sometimes yeah. What gets blamed as bad prophecy is actually faithless people who actually refuse to put their their, their faith, faith mm-hmm. in God through this prophetic declaration. So the value you place on the word determines yeah. the power you receive from it. Okay. So all right. So several things to talk about here. And again, I apologize for the length, but if you're still with me on this, then I hope you are because there's some good things we can take away from all this and some questions we can ask. Going back to the word of knowledge, when he talked about that, the question that comes to my mind now being out of this is where are we told in scripture that the definition of the word of knowledge is what he just said? We are not told that. It's not plainly laid out for us what the definition of the word of knowledge is, but what if it means that it's grasping the truth of God's word? What if that's the knowledge that is talking about the word of knowledge, someone that God is gifted, spiritually gifted to understand the truth of the word of God and to convey it in such a way that it can be applied? What if that's the word of knowledge? That's a question I would like to know. Where did this come from? Where did this definition of the word of knowledge come from? Because it's not it's not clearly laid out in scripture that the word of knowledge is, well, that's something that's currently happening. Prophecy is, uh, he talks about prophecy is all about the future, but what if proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is prophetic? What, what if that's prophetic? What if someone that's a minister that's addressing a social issue that's years in, in a, ahead of time and warning about the dangers of it and it begins to come to a head like we're seeing in our culture right now, what if that's uh, prophetic in nature? They're not prophesying. They're not saying, thus says the Lord, or they're not saying, I hear the Lord saying this. But they're talking about something that's relevant, that's coming into the culture, and that they're addressing it biblically. What if that's prophetic? Uh, Revelation 19.10 also, just to keep this in mind, says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So telling someone that their name when you don't know their name, that's not the testimony of Jesus. That's acting like a psychic. That's not testifying of God. 
what if Revelation 19:10 is truly is truly foretelling? What if and it's and again, where do we see foretelling mean the cause to happen? This foretelling is it could be a, a proclamation, which that's what we're doing when we proclaim the gospel is that we're prophesying, we're testifying of Jesus Christ. That's the testimony of Jesus. What if we are not supposed to go around reading people's mail like a psychic? What if we're not supposed to be doing that? It's just just these things that I think of now coming out of this and wanting to go back to scripture and understanding it biblically. And again, please understand, I'm not attacking people. This is addressing the teaching that's being brought forth and being conveyed to people. And it's not being questioned within or scrutinized completely to look at. And then when you do scrutinize it, then you could hear something be said to you, well, you just don't have enough faith. Because if the prophecy doesn't come to pass, then what he said, as I'll come back to it again, is he talks about, well, a lot of times that uh, sometimes bad prophecy is really faithless people who do not trust in the, in the word that, the, that God gave. But then at the same time, you're saying that not to say the Lord says this, that it, it could be imperfect. We could be hearing it wrong. Uh, there's a lot of different loopholes that are being made here. And it's just not matching up with scripture. It's it's not matching up with the truth of what we're seeing as the model of prophecy in scripture. There is another thing I want to play for you too. It was a clip that I found of a, a past teaching and he talks about the word of knowledge uh, in this new video, right? About the word of knowledge is addressing a current issue. So that's not real prophecy. Prophecy is always telling the future. But I want you to hear this clip of something that he says about the word of knowledge here that seems to contradict what he just said as the definition. The point is, is that uh, there's a difference between a bad prophetic word and a false prophet. You can, have, you can get the word wrong and not be a, a false prophet. Because you give words that aren't, aren't completely accurate doesn't mean you're a false prophet. It just means that you have prophetic words that need help. I can tell you that there are people who have been wrong for 30 years. I'm not saying they're false prophets. I'm just saying they're bad ones. There's a difference between a false prophet and a bad prophet. false prophet has an evil heart. A bad prophet just gets everything wrong. Now, I won't talk about this next week with false prophets because he talks about this at the end of the, the current video we're evaluating. But again, just think about this in your mind for next week. Where does it talk about the difference in Scripture between a bad prophet and a false prophet? Let's keep going. I don't know a prophet that gets everything right. I don't know a prophet that gets everything right. But you ought to, you know, 51% would be nice because you could guess better than that. So what is a false prophet? In Acts chapter 16, we're going to read about the first kind. It happened as we were going to the place of prayer that a slave girl having a spirit of divination, everybody say a spirit of divination, met us who was bringing her masters much profit by foretelling and as she kept crying out and saying these are bond servants of the most high god who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation she continued doing this for many days but paul was getting greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her and it came out that very moment what's happening here here we have a person who has the spirit of divination what is she saying these are great men of God. They're proclaiming to you the ways of salvation. Listen to them. Do you realize that her prophetic word was right? She had the right word with the wrong spirit. All right, I want you to catch something there and just see if you caught the same thing I did. He is ascribing in Acts 16 the girl with the spirit of divination that uh, was operating like a psychic, basically, that brought her master's great profit from what, her, what she did. He is saying that what this girl said was prophecy, but... What she said was currently taking place. It was who they already were and what they were doing. So wouldn't that be a word of knowledge, which 
he's saying a word of knowledge is not prophecy. So that was something that kind of stood out to me when I was doing some research on this. Again, the teaching is not matching up to what, what's being presented is what I want, the point I want to get at for here. The teaching is not matching up. And as for the quote that the value placed on the word determines the power that you receive from the word, that's a very confusing statement. And it takes away critical thinking, as I said, and discernment. I really do believe that. When you say something like that, when you're teaching on prophetic ministry, and then you're saying, well, you know, if someone calls you a nurse and you're a nurse, that's a word of knowledge. That's not prophecy. But if you say you're a nurse, then you don't need to discard that word because God could be trying to tell you that you're going to be a nurse. And, you know, the value that you place on that word determines the power that you receive from it. But you're shutting down critical thinking of someone saying, no, that's not right. I'm not a nurse. So you're trying to find another way to make that word correct. And that's not, that's not a biblical way to do that. It takes away the critical thinking and discernment. And it goes back to saying you have to unite your faith to the word. It puts the blame on the the person that's receiving, the, the receiver of the word, rather than the one who said it. When he says bad prophecy is sometimes faithless people who refuse to put their trust in God through the declaration, this removes accountability on the part of the one claiming to prophesy and onto the discerning believer who has tested it, knows the word. And then to use the example from Numbers chapter 14, where the spies are sent in, in Numbers 13, the spies are sent into the promised land and two of them out of the 12 give a good report, which are Caleb and Joshua. And then to say that the people didn't go in because they didn't unite their faith with the word. They didn't go in because they rebelled against God. And God mentions that in Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. He calls out, to, calls out their rebellion and their disobedience to God in Numbers 14, 11. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? This is after it's been talked about, and the Caleb and Joshua tear their garments, and they won't listen, and that the people are wanting to stone them and stone, stone Moses and Aaron. But the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. And of course, we know Moses go to, goes to intercede for the people. He's a type and shadow of Christ when he does this, that is interceding for the people and that God promises judgment on them because of their disobedience and their rebellion against God. It wasn't about faith as being a force or an it or the subject of things. It was the fact that they had no faith in God. He had continued to promise them over and over and over again that he was going to give them this land and they wouldn't listen. They, re- they rebelled against God and they refused to put their faith and their trust in him. That's what that has to do with. It was not about putting your faith in a prophetic word and basically that bad prophecy is blamed on faithless people, not putting their, their trust in God. Again, that is putting the blame on the, on the other person, on the church or whoever, that it's their fault. And I'll give a prime example of this. We saw this last year with the election. And as someone who was part of this movement and looking at this now from the outside, it was very sad to me and it was angering, uh, honestly, to see such behavior come out of people that were professing to be prophets. They're telling people to, they're, they're moving the goalposts, they're continuing to double down on, on these things. And, conti- and still continuing to, and putting their faith and hope in a man, 
<laughs> and in these prophecies and such, and telling people to trust in them. And then when people, it did not come to pass, then the blame is shifted onto the church. Well, you didn't pray enough. Well, you didn't fast enough. You didn't believe the prophets enough. You didn't do this and this and this. And not acknowledging I'm a false prophet and I falsely prophesied out of my own deceit of my own heart, out of my own emotions, and I refuse to acknowledge it and own it. And I'm going to shift the blame on you. I'm going to shift it onto you and to the church and say, it's your fault because it's not a bad prophecy. It's because you were faithless. See, things like this can be said and it, it takes away accountability and then it ultimately denies the truth of scripture. And, and really looking at what the Word of God has to say in context. I would also say this. It's also this here in Numbers that he's pointing to is another example from the Old Testament. And if I follow the teaching here that has been provided in this video, that to bring the Old Testament understanding concerning prophecy into the New Testament is losing the beauty of reconciliation. So why is Numbers 14 being used to talk about reconciliation in the New Testament because this is breaking the rule of bringing the old covenant into the new covenant. You cannot make such a statement and then negate your own belief because it's not true and it's not based on what the word of God says. And so it's being double-minded. Uh, the ending with the question again uh, the, that I've been talking about here for a few minutes is interesting to me because I have heard teachings from leaders that it isn't the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And I've even heard from their own church in old clips uh, a reference that Bill Johnson made that it's not the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Almost in a sense, the perception is, is anyway, when, when I hear that, is anybody who brings up Scripture and tries to say, well, where is this in Scripture, then they're uh, accused of worshiping the Bible. But as Christians, the Bible is our foundation for truth that we go to, to make sure that what we're being taught is true. What did the Bereans use to test Paul? They used the scriptures. They were the Old Testament scriptures. So I hear this, this statement being brought up, and Chris did not say this, but it just made me think of this when I was listening to this. I've heard teachings from this that it's not the Father, Son, the Holy Bible. And we know that the Bible is the assurance, as Christians, we believe that, that the Bible is the assurance that we can hear, we can read it, open it, read it out loud, and we can be assured, rest assured that we are hearing God speak through his word. This is God speaking through fallible vessels that wrote the scripture that were divinely inspired by him to give proper instruction to his people and to reveal the promise of reconciliation, the, to reveal the coming of his son, the, the, the Messiah, to point to Jesus Christ all along and to bring back in that reconciliation, the redemption, that right relationship with the father through faith in Jesus Christ and to be indwelled by his spirit at the moment of salvation. So why are we being told that the value placed on the word determines the power received from it? And this is a word that may or may not be right, and it's deemed okay if it's not right, and a word that should not be said to be from the Lord while claiming that it is. Why are people being told that about this? And yet we have a more sure word, the scriptures, that are sufficient and reliable and when not misappropriated to provide teaching. It's almost as if there is this thing in us that wants more. 
more than just what the word of God says. There has to be more than just that. I want an experience. I want someone to speak to me and call me out. Listen, I get that. I was in these movements for years and I get that. I get that the adrenaline rush and the, and the high when you someone calls you out and they begin to prophesy over you and to say all these great things about you and find the gold in you. But what happens when those words are spoken in vain and it's not God speaking? What if it's to puff you up and to continue to minister to you in such a way that it's deceptive? What if it's not God speaking? And then what if you decide to test that against scripture and you go to your leaders and you say, I don't think this is God speaking. And then they tell you the value that you place on the word determines the power that you receive from it. So you have no faith to receive that. Again, it's shutting down critical thinking and it's shutting down proper biblical discernment. And we need to take note of this and be aware of this. There are things in this teaching that are contradicting one another. And furthermore, and the most important thing, they're contradicting scripture. In closing, I, I just want to, to leave you with this and to think about that we need to have a high view of scripture. And in the prophetic ministry, the, my perception is, is that there tends to be a low view of scripture a lot of times. And then when scripture is used, it's misappropriated. So there tends to be a low view of scripture, but a high view of extra biblical revelation, a high view of that, because that means that you're more spiritual, that you um, hear from God and that you are growing in, in the Lord and, you know, all the things that encompass that. And so there seems to be this mindset and people will disagree with me and that, that that's okay. But if we truthfully looked at it, there is a low view of scripture and a high view of potentially fallible prophecy, extra biblical revelation, uh, extra biblical experiences that uh, resemble more of paganistic type mentalities and paganistic experiences that are not under the jurisdiction and the confines and the boundaries of understanding proper biblical um, exegesis. You know, the other thing is that we shouldn't discard these fallible prophecies as, as fallible because it could be accurate, even though it is about us and less about Jesus Christ. I continue to think about how that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The gospel is all about Christ. And it's about recognizing that we are sinners, that apart from Christ, the wrath of God abides on us. We are children of disobedience. We are enemies of the cross before God. We are children of wrath. And God the Father loved people and loved us enough, even in the midst of that judgment and that wrath that abides on us, because those who do not believe in God stand, con stand condemned already, according to John 3.18, as we've talked about earlier. But the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who was truly God and truly man, to atone and to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. He was the only one able to do it because He was without sin, and He was the Son of God. And He died on that cross, He was buried, and He was resurrected, and given us the promise of eternal life. That was the point of his resurrection. And through faith in, in him, through faith in Christ alone, we can repent. We can believe in him for faith to save us, to re reconcile us to the Father, and to be a new creation in Christ. And we can do that without trying to practice prophesying something that may or may not be of God. And can I just say this, and as someone, again, who came out of this type of uh, this environment, to say that you can practice prophesying. And I actually heard a leader recently from uh, a different Bethel campus in Austin say if she was encouraging people to talk and she said, if you don't hear something uh, from the Lord, make, make up a word. If you don't hear a prophecy, make one up. And she said, and she laughed and she said, you think I'm joking, but I'm not. 
And then she began to say, you know, you have the mind of Christ. Christ can basically can come through your thoughts and that you can basically speak what God is speaking. When we say things like that, it is dishonoring to God. And the fear of God should really be upon us when we say things like that. And we're saying, well, we're going to practice prophesying. Well, we're going to do this. Well, you know, just, just try to think of something you could say to somebody, just close your eyes and think. And when you come up with these different little, these visions that you have or whatever, then that's God. But then when you go to test it, then you're told you can't do that because you don't have enough faith or you're dismissing what's going on here. Uh, This could be a true word of God. It's so confusing and it's so, it's really just diluted down to where the Bible is no longer sufficient. The Bible is no longer enough for us to be trained up in righteousness and to really hear the voice of God. I would argue that the gospel of Jesus Christ is prophecy. That is, that is foretelling, that is proclaiming, it is, it is testifying of Christ and glorifying him. And that is what we should be doing as believers in Christ. And so I encourage you, dear friend, read your Bible, make sure that when you're listening to people, anybody, that you're opening your Bible and you're following along and that you're reading it, you're searching it out for yourself and you're being a student of the word because your life may depend upon it. I mean, it it really, you believing things that aren't biblical and it's going to bring harm and then you're not going to understand what true faith is. You're going to think it's some power, some force that you're supposed to do and to speak and, and to use your words to say, and you're going to manipulate scripture and misuse it. And then you're not going to glorify God. And I know for myself as someone who was in that error, it was heartbreaking to realize that I had disobeyed God and that I had really done more harm than good by, by, perpetuating false teaching. And repentance came from that. Repentance and contrition and understanding that what I was doing was not honoring God. And so I want to honor God in in the truth of his word. And this is why I'm doing these things. And for those that you're not going to like this, I get it. There's people that are not going to like this. They're going to be upset that I'm even addressing something from Bethel that's like, and it's essentially like a golden calf um, to people. And whether people want to admit it or not, we have certain things that really are golden calves that we idolize them and we put them on a pedestal and you better not touch them because those are God's anointed people and they're chosen. Well, again, that's misappropriating scripture. We cannot be doing that. We've got to be willing to look at the truth. And ultimately, we're about honoring God. That is the one person that I am interested in honoring and not bringing reproach on his name. So that's all for this week. Next week, we're going to come back and look at the second half of uh, Rediscover Bethel Prophecy 101. Until then, be blessed. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.